On the wall behind me is this statement, we believe in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you make just a mental note real fast of five things that you believe about Jesus? Five things that you personally believe about Jesus. You don't have to share them with anybody else. It's just for you. Get five things in mind. Now let's pray through those five things. Let's go before the Lord. Father in heaven, we really do believe in you. We believe first and foremost that you rose from the dead. And that separates you from any other wannabe God, anyone else that might try to lay claim to your throne. Lord, they stumble across this one. Thank you for that belief. I believe, Lord, that you have transformed my life, every part of it, and you're still transforming. Thank you. I know that that's not possible in any other way. So thank you for what you've done. Personally, Lord, and I know that my prayer joins many others this morning, I believe that you have forgiven me of my sins. There's great peace in that and great hope in it. I believe that you have offered me a a home in heaven in your presence for eternity, and you made it possible through your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for what that means to me. And I believe that you're coming back for your church when the time is right. You're coming back. And Lord, we look forward to that. In the meantime, we'll promise to be faithful and do the things that you have told us to do. This list of things that we believe could go on and on and on. Lord, we could talk about the miracles that you performed. We could talk about the fact that you are the one and only Son of God. We could talk about the fact that you are the prophesied Messiah, that you're the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. We could talk about all of those things, Lord, and the list would never stop. These are the things we believe about you. They are the foundations of our faith. and They hold it all together. So my prayer this morning is that you will help us to live in visible ways each of the things on our list, that others might know what we believe about you and that we might be reminded day after day after day of what we believe and how much we love you. So thank you for being here with us this morning, and thank you for being the object of our worship, the only object of our worship. It's in Jesus' name that we offer this. Amen. I wish you'd open your Bibles to the book of James. We have been in a study of this practical little book for a number of weeks. We're going to keep that going until we get to the end. It is very personal. It is very practical. And at times it is very pointed. James started out by teaching us that we needed to get our head wrapped around what a relationship with him looks like. That was in chapter one, that we needed to pursue godly wisdom so that we could live godly lives. He taught us to do that in the good times as well as the bad. Last Sunday, we looked at the fact that James was teaching us to align our faith and our actions, that the things that we do need to closely mirror the things that we believe. The truth is that that happens all the time. What James was teaching was that as Christians, our actions need to reflect the God that we love. This week, he takes it up a notch, and he says that we need to align our faith and our words. And by doing that, we need to learn through the power of Jesus Christ how to control our tongues. This is a tough lesson, but one we all need to hear. We're in James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. 
We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You may have heard Irene's story before. It's floated around in a number of different places. It's pretty good. Irene, for her entire life, has wrestled with gossip. It's always been an issue for her. From the time she was a little girl until the time she died, Irene wrestled with gossip. When she became a Christian, it got even worse because in the church she found that she had a whole new group of subjects for her gossip. And she was very, very, very good at it. So much so that the church as a whole was pretty terrified of her. She would gossip about the people in the church. They would want to confront her, but they were scared to death of what she might say afterwards. So nobody ever said anything. Nobody ever did anything about Irene's gossip until George came along. George was a new Christian, found his way into the church. He'd come from a rough background. One of George's biggest struggles was with alcohol and it had been a lifetime struggle for him. Irene figured that out pretty quickly and she wanted to let everybody know about it, but she just wasn't sure how. Until one night when George had gone to the bar, parked his old blue pickup in front of it and stayed there all night long. Irene had seen his pickup in front of the bar when she went to bed and she drove by in the morning and saw that it was still there. So Irene decided to get on the prayer chain, you know how that works, ask everybody to pray for George because obviously he had spent the night at the bar. Well, George got upset about it and he asked Irene and Irene made this statement. She said, George, if you are going to leave your old blue pickup parked at the bar all night long, you're going to have to expect that people know what you're up to. George didn't really have a good answer for her, wasn't sure what to say. So he chose to say nothing but to do something. This is what he did. That night, George took his old blue pickup, parked it in front of Irene's house and walked home. left it there all night long and let the prayer chain go crazy. (laughs) I love George. George is a wise man. George has got some stuff figured out. He really does. You know, Irene's struggle is not different than our struggle. We all have to figure out how to tame our tongue. And as the book of James says, that, that can be a difficult task. It can be really hard. And it's not just gossip that we have to wrestle against. There are a number of people that are negative by nature, and it is visible nowhere more so than in their speech, in the ways they talk. The Bible would teach that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Negative people speak negativity that comes right out of their heart. It's how they're wired. It's what they believe. 
There are critical people that are critical by nature. And they are always going to find the worst in other people. And because of their nature, they're going to share their thoughts with those people. They can be tough to be around. You know what that's like when you're around people that are constantly criticizing. We went through a period here a few months ago where the the church was just being criticized all the time. And the staff was being criticized. We just had a critical spirit kind of hanging over everything. And Deanie found a quote from Dr. Henry Cloud that he brought into my office. In fact, he showed it to a number of people. It's a really good quote. Dr. Cloud said this, Dogs bark, cats meow, and critical people criticize. You cannot get a dog to quit barking. You cannot get a cat to quit meowing. And you can't get a critical person to quit criticizing. That's really pretty good teaching. I would add this to it, though. All things are possible through him who gives us strength. And the critical person can stop criticizing when they allow Jesus Christ to transform their heart and then their mouth. It really does work that way. And the negative person can become a positive individual. The critical person can become an encourager when Jesus transforms things. The gossip can go quiet when Jesus transforms the life, the heart, and eventually the tongue. It really does work that way. And all of us at some point have to ask ourselves, what is it about my speech that needs to be transformed? What is it about my tongue that needs to be transformed? May have nothing to do with gossip, may have nothing to do with negativity, may have nothing to do with a critical spirit, but the odds are there is something that's coming out of your mouth that needs to be transformed so that you are speaking in such a way that you reflect your faith, your belief in Jesus Christ. Transforming the tongue is a big deal. It really is. So James puts it in there and says that there has to be alignment if we're really going to live the way God wants us to between our tongue and our faith as much as there has to be alignment between our actions and our faith. It isn't necessarily easy teaching, but it's really good. So I want to break it down for you this morning so that we can all pay attention. Let's start with what he says in verse 1. This is kind of an interesting application. Listen to this again. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That is a difficult passage of Scripture as a pastor-teacher to hear. And it's one that I keep in front of me all the time. It is one of the most humbling and convicting verses in all of the Bible for me in the realm of teaching. The last thing in the world that I want to have happen is for me to stand before the throne of God and hear God say, you led people astray. You didn't teach it the right way. So I measure everything that I teach against this passage of Scripture. If I'm going to be judged more strictly or I'm going to be judged more harshly because of the things I'm saying, I'm going to pay attention to what I'm saying. Now, in James's application of this, it wasn't just something that he was saying to preachers and teachers. He was offering it to every Christian that every believer would pay attention to this because the audience that he was writing to had set themselves up in positions of authority over other people. So he wanted them to understand, if you're going to presume to teach other people, you better guard your words. If you're going to presume to try to lead other people in the faith, you better measure what you say and you better know what you're talking about because there's a stricter judgment coming your direction. That's hard for people to hear. It's easy for us to put it against pastors and teachers, but when we apply it to ourselves, this gets really personal. 
Let's go back to the pastor-teacher application of this, because not only do I have to guard what I say, it is your responsibility to test everything that I say or anyone else says against the Word of God. Keep your finger in James chapter 3 and go with me to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. John writes these words. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is John's teaching in a nutshell. You test every lesson you ever hear, every sermon you ever hear, whether it's from me whether it's on the radio, whether it's from another teacher, doesn't matter. You test every one of them against the Word of God. By the way, that's why I always stand up here with my Bible in front of you and ask you to open yours, because I want you to be able to test everything I say against Scripture. If all I did was tell you what the Bible said and I never asked you to look at it for yourself, you would never be able to test it. So that's why I stand up here with my Bible open. That's why I invite you, encourage you to bring a Bible to church with you so that you can test everything that I say against the Word of God. And I encourage you to do the same thing with everyone else because teachers have a great responsibility. It's true also of every Christian that would ever seek to use their life and their influence to lead somebody else to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll take you to an interesting place in the Bible. It may not make sense to you. Stay with me. I hopefully will bring it around. We're going to go to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3. Ostensibly, this passage is written about elders and deacons in the church. Verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, or we could read that elder, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer elder must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, nor violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, like I said, ostensibly this is written about elders and deacons. But if you were to really read it, what you would find is a list of characteristics, qualifications, some people say, I like characteristics, characteristics of those that want to become leaders in the church or leaders in their faith. And the very first characteristic is this. That person must desire the position. If anyone desires to be a leader with their faith, then everything else falls into place underneath it. Well, there are a bunch of people in the church that desire to be in positions of leadership. Even if that's over one other person that they're just trying to lead to Christ. Well, if that's the case, you have to learn the control that the Bible's talking about. Sometimes you have to learn the sacrifice of freedoms that the Bible is talking about. And certainly you have to line up your words and your faith 
so that it influences your actions. You see, the three come together in alignment. And when that happens, you can have great influence. I love this quote from John Wooden. I'm sure you've heard it. The truest test of any man's character is who he is when no one is watching. Somebody else, an unknown author, has taken that a little bit deeper and says, you are who you are when no one else is watching. Well, we could also apply that with your mouth. The truest test of your character is what's coming out of your mouth. Who are you glorifying? What are you talking about? Is your mouth, are your words lined up with your faith? Or are you headed down all kinds of other roads? You are who you are based on what's coming out of your heart. That's really the truth of it. You are who you are as your heart spills over into your speech, and into your actions, and into your life. So the Bible says, you've got to learn to control it. You've got to learn to tame it. Because if we don't, we can get ourselves in big trouble. If we go back to James chapter 3, in fact, let's do that. Here's what we're going to find. James says that there are three things that you have to know about the tongue. The tongue has the ability to direct your life. Now, I love the illustrations that he uses here. James starts out by talking about putting a bit in the mouth of a horse. That's speaking my language. Putting a bit into the mouth of the horse. He also talks about a rudder on a ship. Now, do you know what those two things do? They're very small tools, very small pieces. A bit on a bridle is a very, very, very small instrument. And a rudder on a ship in the overall scheme of things is a very tiny thing. But do you know what they do? They direct contrary things. A horse has a mind of its own. If you happen to come into our barn and ride my horse, you'll find out he has a mind of his own. He really does. But the bit helps everything out. You put the bit in his mouth and all of a sudden this contrary animal is directable. We can actually control the actions of the horse. A ship is battling the wind and the waves, but a little tiny rudder can help the pilot make its way through even the fiercest of storms. The same thing, James says, is true of your tongue. It directs your life. It guides you different places. It is the expression of your heart. And it's just this little tiny part of your body. It directs where you go. Now let's take a look at what some other places in Scripture have to say about this. Keep your finger in James chapter 3. But go with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalm 141. David's words. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. This is what David chose to do. In his own struggle with his mouth, in his own struggle with his tongue, he chose to pray about it. You realize that that was a prayer? That was David's prayer we just read. Listen to it again, but listen this time as a prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. Maybe, just maybe, we need to do the exact same thing and offer a prayer about our speech. Offer a prayer over your tongue and your lips, over your mouth, and you can offer the exact same one. Pull it off the page and make it your own prayer until such a time that you have tamed your tongue. If you have a problem with coarse joking, foul jokes, you just love to tell them and and you know they're offensive to people. Maybe you need to pray David's prayer until you stop. Maybe it's foul language that you struggle with, even using the Lord's name in vain, and you know you're not supposed to do it, but you just can't seem to win the battle. Maybe you need to pray David's prayer over your mouth. 
Maybe it's with negativity. Maybe it's with gossip. Maybe it's with slander. Maybe it's with you fill in the blanks. David's prayer can change it. Pull it off the page. Make it your prayer until such a time that you have tamed your tongue because your tongue directs your life. Let's go to the New Testament, Gospel of Matthew. Listen to what Jesus says. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything else beyond this comes from the evil one. We live in a world of people-pleasing. People-pleasing happens, first of all, in the mouth, and then it bleeds over to the actions. Somebody comes to you and asks you a question. Maybe they want you to do something for them, and you have no intentions of doing it whatsoever. So you tell them you'll do it, and then instantly you start figuring out how to get out of it. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you have no intentions of being there to help those people, you can't do it. Just say no. If your yes is yes, then let your yes be yes. If your no is no, then let your no be no. But if we're going to break the pattern of people pleasing in our society, it has to start with our mouth. Because remember, the mouth is the overflow of the heart. That's where it makes its way into other people's lives. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And mean it. Think about your words before you say anything at all. Because your words matter. They are directing your life. And look at how this works. We'll go back to the Old Testament again. Book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. You see, it's a choice of where we allow our tongue to direct us. It's either unto life or death. That's true not only in our life, but also in other people's lives. Go back to James chapter 3 and lay this verse over it. Here's what you find out. James says that mighty fires have been ignited by the tongue. The entire forest have been burned up by just a tiny little spark. Entire lives have been ruined because of what the mouth says. Within the tongue, within the mouth, off of your lips, is the power of life and death. What do you choose? How do you want to use it? What a great illustration for we live about the the forest being burned up. We all understand forest fires and we understand how they start. But do you realize the devastation that is caused by words within marriages? Do you understand the devastation that is caused by words within families and every other relationship? Simple little words that get thrown out without any thought behind them can devastate or decimate the people that we love and leave a wake of bodies behind us. Just like a a forest fire leaves nothing but dead trees standing, words within relationships can leave dead trees standing behind us until we figure out that we want to use our words to direct people unto life. That is illustrated beautifully by the great theologian Josie Wales. Now, I just... Out of curiosity, how many of you have seen that wonderful movie, The Outlaw Josie Wales? Shame on you if you have not raised your hand. That is a great movie. Josie Wales, at the end of the movie, is riding into Chief Ten Bear's camp where he's going to work out a, a treaty for the settlers that Josie Wales is traveling with. He wants to make sure that they can live in peace. And in their conversation, he actually says to Chief Ten Bear's, we bring together the words of life or death. Our words carry life with them if you'll believe me and trust what I have to say. And if I back up 
what I have to say. And then Josie wails in ways that only he can, taps his pistols and said, and if you choose not to accept that, then I bring words of death with his, oh, it's good stuff. (laughs) It is good stuff. Well, it's the same thing. Your words direct people unto life or death. What do you do with it? How do you choose to use it? That's up to you. It would be very hard for us to consciously think about it, but we need to consciously think about it. When we do, we discover that our words have the ability not just to destroy, but to delight other people, to bless them. And that's exactly what James was teaching when he said that out of your mouth, you can either bring praises or curses. You can praise God and you can bless other people, or you can curse God and curse other people. If you learn how to control your tongue, that tongue can become a blessing to everyone else around you. We're still in Proverbs chapter 18. Listen to this. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. You see, you can delight other people. You have a a deep fountain at your disposal. What you do with it is up to you. Some of James's wonderful teaching, the things that he wants us to understand is this. Out of your mouth can flow both salt water or fresh water, but the two do not mix. You have to decide which one it's going to be. Are you going to be a fountain of fresh water or are you going to be a fountain of salt water? Fresh water refreshes, salt water burns, and it stings. Salt water kills and destroys. Fresh water brings life. Which one do you want to be? You want to surround yourself with springs of fresh water. I want to surround myself with springs of fresh water. We have to decide whether we're going to be that for other people. Which one? It's one or the other. You are either fresh water or salt water. Which one is it? I want to show you some of the teaching of Jesus again. Back in the Gospel of Matthew just so you can hear how he would drive this thought home. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus, now no parent likes that verse. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me as a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. Eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. 
The salt water of the Pharisees said, we're going to trap people. We're going to trap your disciples. We're going to see if they're following the Old Testament law. That's salt water thinking. And Jesus said, let's just forget about all of that and let's get into some fresh water thinking. What's coming out of your mouth? What are you saying? How is it lined up with your faith? Is it salt water or is it fresh water? I did a little digging around this past week to see if I could find out how much fresh water it takes to purify salt water. I looked through some books. I couldn't find anything. I got on the internet. I couldn't find anything. I grabbed hold of Jason, our intern for the summer. I said, Jason, you have one assignment this week. I want you to find for me how much fresh water it takes to purify salt water. He failed, totally failed. Couldn't find anything at all. And I mean that in the nicest of ways, Jason. I failed too. We're, we're both failures in this regard. And I was kind of frustrated by that. I thought the internet has answers for everything. I ought to be able to find this. And I couldn't. But yesterday morning, this thought struck me. I know a hydrologist. I need to call him and see if he can get this answer for me. So I did. I called him. Many of you know him. His name is Steve Johnson. He was here in first service. Didn't stick around for second service. Might be a reason. I called Steve and I, I said, Steve... I need to know how much fresh water it takes to purify salt water. You're a hydrologist, done this with your whole life. Surely you could tell me. He racked his brain, and if you know Steve, you know that his brain is full of useless, I mean useful information. And so he can give it to you at the drop of a hat. He's just ready to share it. And Steve said, I don't have any idea, Phil. I've never heard an equation on this. I have no idea whatsoever. I said, well, Steve, that's just totally disappointing. I, I don't know what to do with that. So I said, well, take a guess for me, would you? And he did. He said, if you had 20 gallons of salt water in front of you and you wanted to purify it to the point of making it palatable, it would take at least 500 gallons of fresh water. 500 gallons of fresh water to purify 20 gallons of salt water to make it drinkable so that your kidneys could handle it. That's exactly what Steve said, so that your kidneys could handle it. 500 gallons to 20 to purify it. Well, after he told me that, I was applying it this way. I want you to think about what happens when somebody spews salt water all over you. Words that hurt, words that sting, words that cut, words that bite. Critical words that just rip you to shreds. If they wanted to turn the tide of that, the same equation is necessary. It would take 500 gallons of positive words to reverse that 20 gallons of salt water. So James says, don't let this be an issue. Don't let salt water come out of your mouth. Be a spring of fresh water because you have received that fresh water deep within you. That's what's in your heart. Bless other people with your words. Don't curse. Bless God with your words. Don't curse Choose fresh water over salt water. Those of you that have experienced things like this know exactly what I'm talking about. There are people in your life that spew salt water on you all the time. That's more than you can handle. They cut you down. They criticize you. They're always pointing out what's wrong and how you have failed, how you haven't lived up to their expectations. The salt water just flows and it burns every part of their body. And you long for them to change it. Maybe you're one of those people and you know it and you can't stop yourself. Well, here's what you have to know. It will take 500 gallons of fresh water from you before that person can stomach you. That's the best way to put it. 
So much animosity grows through salt water that you can't literally stomach being around the other person. Your kidneys can't handle it. It takes 500 gallons to change it. That's a pretty good illustration. You probably have freshwater people in your life. Teachers, coaches, pastors, youth sponsors, parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, any number of different people. Hopefully they are freshwater people, but hopefully you are too. Hopefully you have set your sights on being a freshwater person, building other people up, taming your tongue so that your words are in alignment with your beliefs, your faith, your walk with Christ. Be a freshwater person. Now before we leave this, I want to tell you that it is not just a verbal command. There are a lot of different ways that we communicate, and this teaching bleeds over to every one of them. There's verbal tongue issues, but there are also nonverbal issues that matter. And how we communicate nonverbally is a sign of the alignment between our words, our faith, and our actions. And I'll illustrate it for you in a very personal way. I have not always been a good tipper. In fact, there's a number of years that I have fought against the whole idea of tipping. My philosophy was this. If you are charging us for a meal, then put the price of the meal on the menu. End of story. The tipping thing had just frustrated me to no end. And I bowed up my back and fought against it till 15 years ago. And I remember exactly when it changed. I'd gone out to lunch with a wonderful godly man. We'd already decided that he was going to buy lunch and I was going to tip. So he got the check... He paid for it. I saw how much it was, and I threw down some money to cover the tip. When I got up and walked away from the table, I turned around and saw him adding money to what I had left on the table, and I was ticked off. Like, what in the world are you doing? But because I respected him so much, I kind of kept my mouth quiet. It cannot be said that he did. When we got out in the car, he grabbed hold of a perfect teachable moment in my life, and I'm so glad he did. He said this to me. He said, Phyllis, I saw that you saw I added to the tip. And I said, yes, I did. Why'd you do that? And this is what he said to me. He said, you have absolutely no idea what the lady that was waiting on our table has been through today. You have no idea what her life was like before she left home this morning. You don't know how many people she has had to put up with today, many of them that were very rude and have unbelievable expectations of her, a lot of which will walk into this restaurant and they will look for an opportunity to reduce their tip based on her actions. He said there's a lot of people that go into restaurants that way. The folks that are working here are working for their tips. That's how they're paying their bills. It becomes our responsibility and our choice. I'll never forget him saying this to me. When we come in and and we eat at these tables, we can choose to either be a blessing or a curse. And that's our choice. And he was referencing James chapter 3. We can either be a blessing or a curse. And then he encouraged me to read this passage of Scripture. I'll read it to you too. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. 
When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known whose hand was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. The two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this is what he said to me. To not tip or to tip poorly the way you did is pretty Simon-ish, pharisaical. That's a pretty good lesson. It really is. Because we have no idea what this lady was going through, yet I communicated to her with the tip that I was leaving on the table that she had fallen short. That she hadn't done her job. It was my opportunity to prove that to her by the pitiful tip that I was leaving. Or I could choose to be a blessing. Maybe turn her day around. And just like this, be in a position to say, why don't you go in peace? Why don't you follow my faith? Because I believe in Jesus, this is what I want to do. As he was teaching me, he said, there's several examples in the New Testament of Jesus going out to eat. In every situation, he became a servant except for this one. And this is the only time he became contrary when Jesus was out to eat, and it was with how people treated those that were serving. It was a good lesson. It's a transforming lesson in my life because at that point I became a 15 percenter without question. Today I'm a 20 percenter without question because I don't know what's happening in those people's lives. I really don't. I have no idea what kind of rude people have been in there before me, and I certainly don't know how many Christians chose to send the wrong message. In Libby, Montana, we live in a small community. People know whether you're a Christian or not, whether you claim that. When you're sitting in a restaurant, if you choose to leave a buck on a $40 bill, how do you think the staff that was taking care of you feels about that? How do you think they're going to pay their bills? How do you think they're going to take care of their needs? But when we leave 20%, We're communicating the love of Christ in some pretty nonverbal ways. There are other ways that we do that as well. Now, I can tell you this. If Tina says, hey, let's go out to dinner, and I'm thinking, well, dinner's going to cost this much, and 20% is going to be that, let's go to McDonald's. (laughs) And and we head off someplace else because we think through the tip. I want you to picture what it would be like on Sundays when church is over and Libby Christian Church was getting out of church and heading to the restaurants around town if all of a sudden the people that worked in those restaurants thought, all right, Libby Christian Church is out. This is going to be good. Here come the 20 percenters. That's, that's what we're waiting for. Instead of this normal thought, and this happens all the time, normal thoughts all the time. Oh, no, here come the Christians. They don't want that to happen. We turn it around non-verbally, and we become fresh water. We can also thank you.
We can also become fresh water by some other concerted efforts like this. And I want to close with these 10 things. I want to give you 10 fresh water statements that can help change the spring of water that is coming out of you. If you're typically a saltwater person, these can help a great deal. 10 statements. If you're a note taker, write these down. Just starting sentences with these words can help. Starting with this one. Please and thank you. Those are fresh water words. Learn how to use them. Please and thank you. Doesn't matter where you're at, just use them. Doesn't matter who you're talking to. Please and thank you. Work. They're fresh water words. You can follow them with others like this. I'm sorry. If you've made a mistake, let some fresh water come out of you and just say, I'm sorry. And own responsibility for what's happened. I'm sorry. Man, that helps. You can even follow that one up with words like this. And these are freshwater words. Will you forgive me? Or you could try this one. Parents, and grandparents, husbands, wives, listen to this. The words, I love you, are freshwater words. If they're used right, they are great freshwater words. I was standing in Walmart a, a few weeks ago in a long line, and a guy in front of me made three phone calls. Each one of those phone calls, he ended with the words, I love you. I'm hoping he was talking to people close to him. I, I don't really know who it was. He finished every one of them with, I love you. Well, a lot of times today we have a practiced response of, I love you. And there are kids today that would say, my parents only tell me they love me because they have to. Kids, listen, pay attention. If your parents tell you they love you, here's what they're saying to you. You are one of the most important people in my life. That's what I love you means. Figure out a way to say it. If your kids can't hear it, parents, you figure out how to say it so they can hear it. It matters. We could follow that one up with words like this. I trust you or I'm praying for you. How many of you have had somebody tell you that they're praying for you? That is fresh water like you cannot imagine. If you want to crank that up a notch, text people your prayers for them. Today I was thinking about you. This is my prayer for you. Put your prayer in there and fresh water will pour out of you. You might even try this fresh water statement. I like it when you, and then just fill in the blank. And you pull out small things in life. I like it when you. Here, I'll I'll show you how it works. Honey, I like it when you make fresh bread. That, that's how it works. See the fresh water? Just, her eyes just lit up, and I could see her thinking, oh, you're getting some fresh bread later. So that, that's, fresh, that's, that's just fresh water. It works. I'm going to give you three more. Parents and grandparents, pay close, close attention to these. Parents especially pay close attention to this one. Tell your children this. This is a fresh water statement. I am proud of you. Kids will spend a whole bunch of their life longing to hear those words, I'm proud of you. Or you could even try this one. You are so good at, and fill in the blanks, and validate their giftedness. Here's the last one. And again, parents and grandparents, really listen to this and try it, practice it. Here it is. You matter to me. Do you know how hungry children are for those words? You matter to me. Lacey Farmer sitting in the back. Lacey's a school teacher. Lacey, do you watch kids at times trying to hear those words and they'll do whatever they can possibly do to hear them? And if they can't hear it positively, they will hear it negatively. You're going to matter to me one way or the other, positively or negatively. So which one do you choose? 
fresh water. You matter to me. Those are freshwater statements that follow what James is talking about, and they line your faith up. Why don't you stand and pray with us? Father in heaven, this is uh, pointed teaching. It's good teaching. So thank you for putting it in the Bible and putting it in a place where we can pay attention to it and see it. Now I pray, Lord, that you'll help the things that were communicated this morning to sink into every one of our hearts and into our souls, that they might come out of our mouths. I pray, Lord, that we all understand that the, the first spring of fresh water that needs to come out of each of our mouths is this one, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Those are transforming words. Help us say them, just as Peter did. And then help us live it. Not just that you are our Savior, but that you are our Lord. I pray that our words will reflect that relationship. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayer and responding to it. In Jesus' name, amen.